I'm Charlie Luxton. Welcome to Home Improved, a podcast on how to make the most of your home in this day and age, brought to you by Velux. We explore inspiring home transformation stories and help you get the absolute most out of your next renovation project. In this episode, we'll discuss how to enhance your home office by focusing on a key aspect which can dramatically improve your well-being and work performance, daylight. We'll find out about a loft conversion that transformed a dark and dingy attic into a brilliant state-of-the-art home office design studio. Now this is a complete reimagining of a space and it can serve as an inspiration for us all because the principles of office design are the same wherever you work. To see the before and after photos of the project, go to at Velux on Instagram. So we're joined by Soren, the man behind the renovation. Soren is a Danish designer who moved back to Copenhagen from New York. Welcome, Soren. Hello, guys. And to help us understand the science behind the renovation, we have leading award-winning daylight expert, Professor Marilyn Anderson, who is joining us from Switzerland. Hi, Marilyn. Hello. Thank you both for, for joining us today. We've also got an extra special treat at the end of this episode, so make sure you stay tuned for that. So, Soren, tell us a bit more about yourself. I am uh, have a background as a serial entrepreneur, started uh, several uh, companies within a creative industry, a web agency, photography uh, agency, and then about 12 years ago, I started my own design agency. So you've been based, based out in New York for the past, what, nine years? In Tribeca, downtown uh, Manhattan. We had so many different offices in, in New York. Uh, we would be in, in co-ops where we would sit with other um, creative studios. We would have our own. I think we were at seven locations <laughs> in those nine years. It was sort of like that whole experience of trying to find the perfect space to have a studio was a really good learning experience, but still we were, you know, you, we were still always in the mercy of the landlord that uh, owned the building. And I al always found it very, very uh, difficult to, to create the environment that we wanted that would sort of like uh, feel like what we were doing. So basically in, in about a year ago, I decided to run the studio entirely from Copenhagen. We still have projects over there. We still have some freelancers over there, but the main studio is here in Copenhagen now. So when you moved back, you, you needed to find a new place to house the business. And what was your thinking around that? So I spent actually quite some time uh, looking at uh, office spaces in the center of Copenhagen. It was nearly impossible to park. I found it difficult to find, again, a landlord where we could sort of like settle on the agreement on how to make this reflecting the interior architecture that we do at the studio. I bought this, uh, this house where we currently have the studio. I bought this 21 years ago and I bought uh, the biggest house I could buy on the street back then because I had a web agency and I needed to, to fit my web agency uh, into the house uh, because that was the office for many years. But I did not have any money. So I basically had this amazing house uh, 10 minutes from the center of Copenhagen that I always dreamed about turning into something else, but just didn't have the funds or the time or the reason to do it. And so when you came back from New York, you, you, you kind of stumbled on the idea of, well, I can, I can make this the office. 
It was actually my wife that said, why don't you take the second floor and turn it into an amazing office? That way it's easier for you to, to be, you know, with your family as well. And you still have, you know, your studio on top, top of the house and you can always uh, go to work within a few minutes. So let me get this straight. You live below and then you've done a big job to create your office above. And it took your wife, even though you're the designer, <laughs> I don't know what your wife does, to point out the fact that you had all this space above your head 10 minutes from the centre of Copenhagen. Exactly. <laughs> so, Professor Marilyn Anderson, Soren set himself this task of trying to create the perfect work environment, the perfect place to be. Can you tell us what, what's important, what are the key things you want to be trying to bring into a, a working environment, especially a home working environment? First and foremost a connection to the outside. So a way to be uh, aware of what's happening outside. And this goes obviously through windows and lights, but also through views to some extent. So it's uh, where you don't feel inside too much. And I think this is something that we have been suffering from since uh, the pandemic is to have to be inside all the time. And this connection to the outdoors uh, remains important. And in, in this sense, uh, daylight plays a crucial role, not only uh, visually um, with a visual connection, but also physiologically through the importance of lights to uh, entrain our uh, biological clock or circadian rhythms and uh, the way in which this uh, helps us be alert during the day and helps us sleep at night. Is there evidence that shows that this sort of connection, view, quality of light, being in tune with the actual you know, daily rhythm of things, that, that, that you get better productivity, you get happier people? Yeah, so these two words are hard to nail down as a scientist. So I'm always cautious when saying, you know, it definitely increases productivity because then you have to back it up with actual quantities and numbers uh, or that you are happier. This, again, is uh, a metric that is hard to quantify and has a lot of um, components to it, I would say. But yes, uh, in, in generally speaking, having a, a proper, let's say, light hygiene, this might be a, a pretty boring word, but it's about making sure that what you get out of light is what you need. And so it's really going down to the very basic of what is it that you need. And we do need bright days. We need a lot of light in the morning. We need to tell our body that this is the day and that we have to be alert, awake, vigilant, productive, and in the evening, we have to tell our body, this is going to be the night. You have to uh, let go. You have to start producing melatonin and you have to set for sleep and therefore for a good sleep. And so to work and live in bright environments during the day and in dark environments during the night or to sleep in those is indeed crucial to our health, to our well-being and by extension to our happiness and our productivity. So health, well-being, happiness and productivity, it's becoming clear that this stuff really is better for you, right? Yes. I mean, it's not that surprising if you think about it, given that we evolved outside for hundreds of thousands of years. So why would that light not be the best for us? And why wouldn't we have adapted to that environment ideally? So, so it's, it's, it's not a surprise. What we now have is that we spend time, a lot of time, 90% of our time in an environment that is not the one under which we have evolved. And therefore, we start to worry about what is the minimum that we still have to ensure to make sure we are not too 
<laughs> bad uh, or, or too far away from what we should be experiencing. And what are the other things we should be thinking about? I, I know internal air quality is becoming an increasing concern and, and a tool, if you like, into making a quality work environment. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm not an expert on air quality, but uh, what is quite fascinating is the response of people to what is natural versus what is, let's say, mechanical or artificial in the sense of being um, produced by, by technology. And this pertains both to light and to air. Our comfort zone or what we consider to be comfortable conditions extends significantly, and this is amazing, when the light that we are talking about is coming from the sky, so daylight, or when the air that we are talking about is coming from an open window. So again, this craving for a connection to the outside and for a connection to the natural conditions, probably under which we evolved, although I'm not an anthropologist, show that um, we are happier, more productive, if we can say so, if we can extend this to these uh, terms in a predominantly natural environment. So we're sort of more robust if we're connected to the outside in some way. I mean, that, that's extraordinary. Yeah, we are less, uh, more indulgent, I would say. So we've heard from Marilyn that we are happier and more productive when we're closer and connected to the natural elements like daylight and fresh air. Now, Soren, where did you start with your project? Basically, you have this uh, this almost fortress house from 1931. Uh, we literally took the entire roof apart. We completely re-isolated it, leveled everything out, uh, built up um, what they call a church roof. So you basically you put uh, boards on as well, and you completely water uh, make it water repellent or water resistant. And then you install all the tiles and all the Velux windows. So you flooded the roof with, with with roof windows in order to get sort of an even trying to get that sort of even source of light throughout the day. This was a very unique situation, being able to integrate 24 windows that are fully automated and bringing in so much wonderful light all day long. Basically, in front of our material work desk, we have 10 Velux windows that is uh, westbound. So we don't have a lot of uh, direct sunlight until the afternoon, which is often when we go home. So all day long, that, uh, that is basically the work light that we get from, from those enormous windows. We were up on the roof. We obviously have two sloping sides of the roof, uh, and 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 the sun moves over the roof. So that means that we that the system automatically rolls down blinds if the sun is coming from the east. And then once it it turns to the west, then the blinds goes down uh, opposite. It's it's quite spectacular for what we do. You have an indoor kind of climate control system attached to the to the roof windows. Yeah, there's this whole Velux home automation that does everything for us. It will close down all the blinds at night. It will uh, even air out during night. So the environment is nice and clean when you come up in the morning. You can go in and make all kinds of um, changes to it. Um, so it's, it's completely automated. Because it's, it's quite an extraordinary transformation. You can see photos on, on Instagram that you, but you left elements of the existing house, the structure, and exposed those and expressed those. So it's a very simple palette, isn't there? It, it's a very simple palette. We kept the brick walls, we just refinished them with a warm mix of concrete. 
We kept the old, uh, the storytelling of the old uh, windows from 1931. We renovated them with a very uh, talented uh, carpenter. So they were actually the original 1931 windows sitting in uh, the, the two rounded windows that are shown on the photos of, of the studio. And then we installed a pretty uh, serious uh, hi-fi system. We made a bathroom, we made a kitchen, we have an oven, we can heat food, uh, we have coffee machines, you know, everything is sort of like, you could definitely live up there. There, Employees can take a shower if they have to, and uh, you know, it has all the amenities. It's it's basically a full-on apartment, right? You could live up there. In our architecture projects, one of the real challenges is how you use roof windows, how you use intelligent design to get that natural light to the, the middle of the floor plan, to the difficult bit to light in the project. And the kind of like tricks that you can use, opening up double height space, introducing roof windows. I mean, that's really where the magic, in my opinion, so much of the magic is done, isn't it? Very much. One thing was bringing in the light in, but you also created this spaciousness because it, 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 it also appears to be a much bigger space because there are all these windows, because you have a view and you can, you can look over the buildings. There's a lot of uh, parks and a lot of uh, gardens uh, in the neighborhood. So it's, it's really being on the top. It's, it, it gives you uh, quite an amazing um, uh, view as well. So it does become more spacious. It does solve all these other uh, requirements for a good work environment. For us, it's, it's definitely, we couldn't have done it in a, in a better way. Because I think a lot of people would see these as sort of luxuries, wouldn't they? They would think that, you know, a well-lit, well-ventilated, not too dry, acoustically sensitive environment is sort of like the cherry on the cake. But you seem to be saying that, that this is much more fundamental, that the office is a tool and that you optimise that tool by incorporating these elements that improve the well-being of the people working in them. Exactly. I think it very much inspires the people to really appreciate the surroundings and the environment that you created for them. It is important. I'm not saying that a startup cannot start uh, and be successful in the basement. Uh, and that can very well be part of the journey and, 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 and sort of like an important uh, part of the journey. I've been in a basement, so it's definitely part of my journey. But uh, I do, I'm 48, so I don't have to sit in the basement anymore, which I appreciate every day. A lot of people have had to refocus their working environments because of the pandemic. I mean, how have you observed that shift and how has it been with your office in your house? I made this decision in, in, in August and then uh, eight months later, we have the pandemic, right? And I was sort of like, it just struck me. I was like, okay, that was a very wise decision you made back in August, right? Uh, to, to have the studio here instead of suddenly having some expensive showroom that you had to shut down in the middle of Copenhagen. So I think it's just proven to me that it gives me flexibility. It gives me the freedom to go down and pick up my daughter from school uh, at one o'clock and then come back, have a cup of tea with her and be private and, and, and be a good father and talk to her. And then I can basically go back to work in five minutes. With the studio, we didn't spare any expense. We just did it exactly like we thought it should be. And I love that because then, then you know, often if I don't prioritize everything, then, you know, you'll, you'll end up redoing it.
Marilyn, Soren's obviously done a pretty massive job here, but are there principles from the work that he's done that people can apply to their homes? Yeah, I think the, the principles be behind it. So the, the fact of prioritizing uh, open space that has this depth, that has uh, prioritizing access to light, access to the sky, prioritizing uh, some level of control. You, you probably don't need to have it as perfect as in Soren's office to get at least some of the assets. Uh, if we really focus on light, the renovation can be more modest and still uh, make a huge difference. Just having a new hole in your roof can change your space from yeah, and, and entirely. It's not as polished, as finished as in, uh, in Soren's uh, office, obviously, but it can still create a world of difference. Even more modest to have a routine that forces you to be outside enough, this is very affordable. Just go out during your lunch break. What we can learn also from Soren's um, uh, narrative is the importance of feeling productive and therefore being able to enjoy time off, which is off, but maybe also is creative time. And this uh, is helped by uh, simply going outside. So if you can renovate your room or if you can rearrange your, your home, your, your space, your office in a way that favors bright environments, environments that have a view, environments that have a depth in your field of view, then this is great. If you can't, you can also uh, resort to going outside. And given that a lot of people are working from home and that clearly the home working revolution is, is gaining momentum, you know, it's certainly been turbocharged by the, the pandemic. Are there any sort of key thoughts that you would like to share with people about how they can make their work environment as, as good as possible, Marilyn? I would say a very bad thing about working from home is that you don't interact with many people as much anymore. And we need that just as much as we need light to be happy and productive or creative, I would say. I would consider ourselves to be quite productive if our work allows remote work, but maybe the creativity is what is most suffering or the inspirational aspect, the serendipity is lacking. We are doing our task in front of our screen 10 hours a day four or five days a week, depending on the office. And, um, but uh, yeah, this serendipity is also something that we crave as human beings. What the, the good thing about working from home is, at least for those that have windows, is that the fact of being able to decide where you put your desk or where you decide to work, and you can decide to work close to a window, plus you have full authority on that window. You can open it, you can close the blinds and you can reopen it without having to argue with all your colleagues about this might mean that you at least potentially have the opportunity to create a, a maybe even better environment for yourself without investing any more money, as long as of course you don't live in a basement to start with. So you have to have an access to the sky somehow or go outside go outside more because you're, you're more in charge of your own schedule. This, I think, anyone can afford. So it's an opportunity to not, let's say, um, undergo the general, uh, which is definitely not the case in Soren's uh, office, but in some offices, at least, let's say, my husband's, there is this tendency, and there, this is the case in many, many offices, where blinds, for example, are down because at some point in the day there was glare, and then they're never brought up again. 
And this is very sad because everybody suffers from that. There is no view, but there is also no light to bring in a healthy environment for all these people. And so you feel a bit down at the end of the day, maybe because your work is boring, maybe because you don't like your colleagues, but maybe also because you could have had more light than you actually got. And it's so easy to bring those blinds back up, but in a big group, you feel maybe the pressure of the group to maybe not act on your own or I don't know what. At home, you just act on your own and you can then maybe get uh, at least more of the potential that your space offers, whatever that potential is, at, at least trying to get to maximize that potential. The fact of controlling your environment and of getting access to light and air are all three, so including the control itself, matters of comfort and increase your sense of comfort. So put in some windows, roof windows, windows, get some good light, have some windows that you can open and open them as, as and when you need. And then you have a sense of sort of agency and you have the things that you need to create an efficient working environment. Yeah, well, open them if it's not too cold, like open them when you can, I would say. But uh, no, it, it try to... If you cannot afford having new windows, uh, go near them at least. Uh, and if you don't have any too many windows, go outside. But if you can afford having new windows or if you can afford being close to them, then yes, by all means, do that and make sure you have um, fresh air uh, also for your space. Because I think it was also, I remember being at university and always falling asleep in the second hour of lectures because there was absolutely no oxygen left in the room. So, you know, that, that ability just to sort of flush the room out. To, to, and, 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 and sorry, and you said you have a system that automatically measures CO2 and, and opens the windows. But actually, you could just set an alarm and open the windows and flush through the, the space. Of course, it, does, it, it doesn't have to be that complicated. No, I, I totally agree. You know, everybody has been at the dinner where suddenly you realize that the exhaust food is still running and then someone stands up and turns it off and everybody goes like, oh, that was nice, right? And it, it is sort of like the same thing that every time that the system, we have it automated, but every time that the windows open up, everybody goes like, it's like the exhaust being turned off. People go like, oh, that's nice. Now, you know, and then, you know, a, a, a breath of fresh air comes into the studio. It's hard to quantify, but this I've seen repeated anecdotal evidence of better working environments, better productivity, less illness, less turnover of staff, actually quite significant impacts on, on a business operation. Absolutely. So for a while, uh, daylight has been considered as a way to offset electric lighting and therefore save energy or costs uh, related to that that this is really not the, the point. Uh, yes, and with, to some extent, maybe yes, in incandescent times. Now with LEDs, this is becoming a, a really a marginal cost um, compared to the cost of running an office and of human resources. And Soren was pointing at that also. Or if you increase by 1% the productivity or the satisfaction or decrease by 1% the sick leave and, and absenteeism of your employees, the return on investment is very, very much higher. And so it's still surprising how much we feel we have to invest in certain things like material finish or certain technologies and what we really need and what really makes a difference to us may not be as costly in the first place, or even if it is, it is definitely worth the investment. I mean, of course, a window is more expensive than a wall, but this is a 
definitely good investment. Soren, are there any sort of insights that you've learned from doing your office that, you know, you could give share with people at home who are trying to improve their home and work environment? Every time you step into a room, it, it is sort of like figuring out how you're going to use that room, right? And one thing is what you can do with the interior, with installing lights, etc. But obviously, if you can open up and bring in natural light, that's always uh, something I would prioritize. The, the combination of being able to, to move between outdoor and indoor is also something I always try to prioritize. If it's, if it's a deck, if it's a terrace, if it's a, um, a, a rooftop, um, it's something that gives such an amount of quality to, towards uh, your, your live-work situation. If you have the space, I would prioritize making a space to work from. I would definitely also take it very serious and make a place that is suited for the work that I do. And, and by prioritizing that, you know, maybe you, you need a place where you uh, don't just sit with a desk. Maybe you need a really good reading chair where you can read uh, the reports or um, the documents that you have to read. I, I would, you know, I would find, like Marilyn says, just move your, your table, uh, your desk towards the light. Just put it next to the window so you can, you know, look out over your garden or the neighborhood you live in or whatever it is. Yeah, I think it's, it's correct. Uh, I mean, in my case, I cannot survive without a daylit environment, whether I work or just enjoy the day. So as much as possible, I go outside, even though my living place is full of windows, but still, it's not, still not enough. The holistic approach of what you know you need and what you also learned you need and combine them, the, the two of them, what you feel you need is necessary so that you create the environment that suits you. And uh, there are certain needs that we share in common and certain needs that are more acute in some people than others. Well, Soren, thanks for letting us into your home. And Marilyn, thank you very much for your insights. For me, what's fascinating is that if you're thinking about a work environment, especially a home work environment, the key seems to be lots of natural daylight, good air quality and control. I mean, I've learned that actually just the ability to change your environment really gives you a sense of agency. It makes you happier, a more productive person. Remember, you can see a selection of Soren's photos on the Velux Instagram to get some inspiration. Now, normally we'd end the episode here, but today we've got an extra treat for you. To understand how inspiring the right home office setting can be, we spoke with the UK's royally appointed poet laureate, Simon Armitage, who, like the rest of us, has had to find inspiration at home for the past few months. Simon, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. And are you joining us from your home office? I am, yeah. Office, study, attic, den, lair. Uh, it's, got lots of, uh, it's got lots of different names depending on uh, on what mood I'm in but I yeah I think it's probably a uh, a study today have you always sort of worked from home I don't really quite know what a poet needs to work really yeah join the club um it's uh, it's one of those jobs really that's quite difficult to describe I'm actually probably better when I'm out and about I like writing in cafes and trains and you know I don't mind the the distraction. Uh, usually when I'm at home here, I'm either finishing off the poems, typing them up, or I'm I'm sort of working on, on other projects. But this is a good room to sit and daydream in. And I, I quite often begin poems here, just, you know, start scratching away with a few words, sitting under the, the very window which I've started writing about. So how have you 
sort of adapted that window to suit your home, you know, to suit your way of working? Well, I think it's become particularly relevant this year, you know, with spending a lot more time at home and not travelling around. I think like a lot of people, I've become, you know, writer in residence in in my own house and um, started scrutinising things that I spend a lot of time staring at. I mean, I've, I've always been very fond of that particular window, A, because it's not in direct sunlight, so there's a kind of neutral light comes through it all day. It's diagonal to to the house uh, and to my writing desk, and there's an idea in poetry coming from an Emily Dickinson poem about writing things slant. And, you know, poets often talk about their angle to the universe. So it sort of fits my aesthetic and my my sensibility that there is this slanted view of the world in front of me and because it's you know mostly looking up towards the sky it's not too distracting I've got another window in the same room which is a big semicircular panoramic window that looks out over some woods and I I think if I sat in front of that all day I'd I'd probably get nothing done whatsoever. So the sort of the nice kind of direct contact with the sky and the shifting clouds is sort of just enough stimulation but it doesn't drive you to distraction yeah exactly that and that that lovely sort of pop when you open a velox window um you know as if you're opening some kind of you know pressurized um you know lobby area in a submarine do submarines have lobbies you know so that, that's an airlock of, yeah an airlock that, that sort of depressurization noise when you need to sort of change the atmosphere in the room a little bit and also because you know this type of window is nearly always up at the top of the house uh, you do feel as if you're you know breathing a, a more rarefied air and, and getting a, a, a slightly more advantageous view of, of the world so do you open the window and sort of take in the sounds and the smells of the of the changing day and temperature as well as sort of enjoying that, that connection with the sky? Yeah, exactly. Um, because it's a relatively new house, so it's very well insulated and, you know, that particular window is is double glazed. So you can end up feeling as if you're slightly, you know, hermetically sealed from what's going on outside so it is nice to to throw it open and uh, particularly to get to get the sounds coming in it's quite rural where we live uh, so they're they're often you know the sounds of of birds um and well uh, lawnmowers or other agricultural Strimmers. machinery yeah, <laughs> yeah particularly at weekends uh, but also um every now and again uh, there's a school about a mile away, and if the wind's in the right direction or it's very still, I uh, can sometimes hear the kids uh, when they're playing out at break time and uh, the, the the church clock, uh, which is, again, about a mile away, that sometimes drifts through. So outside, light and view, I mean, they, they figure very much in your routine and your inspiration? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've become very much a poet of this parish i live in semi-rural west yorkshire in what i sometimes describe as upstate huddersfield and um writing about the you know the environment and the locality has become part and parcel of of what i do especially um over this summer where we've all become sort of you know experts in our own little patches is that how the poem came to you to write about your 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 velox I just started thinking about its importance to me. 
Um, and also, I noticed one evening, you know, when the sky outside had gone very dark, that uh, I looked up and, you know, my reflection was, was staring back. And also the blank page uh, that I was trying to make a poem happen on was also reflected in in the glass. And the glass itself became a kind of, um, you know, a, a surface itself uh, on which I was trying to throw the poem. So it's had that odd moment of of projection and reflection. And, uh, you know, I, I started thinking about, you know, the companionship that that window has given me and the illumination that it's given me over the years uh, as a, a sort of... A, you know, a really essential instrument in the in the in the writing uh, process. So I, I decided that it was time to celebrate and fetishize it. <laughs> <laughs> give it some, give it some love. Uh, did you did you put it in specifically, or, or was it just happy and happens chance? It was here. Uh, I've lived in this house about ten years, so it was just lucky um, that you know it was it was it was in this room this is this is a very coveted space within the house so i had to i had to bag this room uh you know as i had first dibs on it really as soon as we, as soon as we moved in i think my daughter's got her eye on it uh, as a as a sort of a room that she might sort of bang through to eventually and use as i don't know somewhere to hang hang her clothes up um but i think i think um you know, wherever I've lived in the past, uh, I've always gravitated um, to what you know towards a, an upper space in the house, and it's, that very often there's been a, a velux type window up there, uh, just you know because of the I suppose because of the the, the sort of space saving uh, issues and the, you know the practicality of having that 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 kind of uh, window in in a roof. Well, would you would you read the poem for us? Velux window. Headspace over a slanted booth, hatch in the mind, the hours refracting on blank paper or printed page, the pain hinged at the hip for more tilt, should tilt be required. Pitch and yaw, pull down on the top bar to unseal the sky for a hit of air. Glazed hob or halo on hot days, and some nights the silversmith moon delivers an empty tray to the narrow desk. Glide a cockpit, chancel for one, oblique alcove for piloting angled thought through diagonal light. Simon, thanks for sharing that wonderful piece of work. It's a pleasure. And thanks for listening to Home Improved, the home improvement podcast brought to you by Velux. Subscribe now and make sure you never miss an episode.